welcome, welcome, and thrice welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast. My name is Scroobius Pip. You can find me at Scroobius Pip, yo. Um, this week's guest, it's Mr. Billy Bragg. Um, Ah, it blows my mind that we even got to sit down and have this chat. It blows my mind that I can contact someone like, like Billy Bragg and say, do you fancy coming on the podcast for a bit? And he says, yeah, and it happens. Um, he's genuinely a legend. Uh, it's amazing to get to talk to him. But before we get to that, actually, sorry, I need to do the sponsors. We've got to pay them them bills. We've got to charge other people so you can listen to this for free. One of them is speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Um, that's my label. Uh, you can go there to support us. You can go to speechdevelopmentrecords.com or scroobiuspip.co.uk. Speechdevelopmentrecords.com takes you straight to the web store. The scroobiuspip.co.uk takes you to a whole website with a load of other stuff, some blogs, some some web games, all sorts of bits and bobs. Come along and support us and check out the other acts on the label like War and Peace, like um, J- Giacomo Brown, Sage Francis, B. Dolan, whose record's on its way soon. Um, yeah, Polar Bear, come and play. Um, our other sponsor is the are the people responsible f- essentially for, for you being able to go to that website to support um, squarespace.com. I built screwbizpip.co.uk myself on squarespace.com and I need to let you know I'm not that good with technology at all. I don't know anything about online stuff or web stuff. I just, I had a website that I'd had built for me and whilst it was beautiful, it wasn't that functional, particularly with smartphones and everything. It didn't really translate onto that screen well. Um, And I heard about Squarespace on another podcast and I decided to give it a look. Um, And I went and had a play about and within an hour or so, I basically had a new website. Um, yeah, it's really easy, drag, a, a, a drag and drop type setups, uploads, just adding little tabs and things. It's, yeah, ridiculously simple. The fact I could build that website is, it illustrates how simple it is. They've got 24 seven support as well on the chat thing which i used a few times uh when i've been updating the website and adding a new bits and i've got confused um it's really easy you get a free a domain if you register for a year um it's it's eight dollars a month um or whatever that 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 translates as but yeah you get a a free domain you get a free a web store you can do all this amazing stuff it translates your website onto a mobile phone so you you don't build two setup sites you build into the template they've got tons of templates you build into the template you choose and that naturally when that then comes up on a phone it's a different it's a slightly different template that yeah is accessible on smartphones which is pretty cool um you can start a trial with no cr- a credit card required and start building your website today but the coolest bit is the fact that you listen to me ramble each week means that you can get 10% off. Um, so if you enter the offer code PIP, P-I-P, you get 10% off and also you show them that you're supporting the podcast. And that's important as as well, you know, that does, I'm not going to lie, that helps us out. That really um, it makes them know that we're, that we're worth supporting and we're worth them paying for you to listen to this for free as such. Check them out. Um, we thank Squarespace for their support of the Distraction Pieces podcast and generally for the fact that I've built my whole website with them. Um, so, yeah, whatever you might need a website for, whether it's your business or your hobby or you're one of those people that it says model in your Instagram profile, but you just put pictures on Instagram. Um, so just put them on a website as well, maybe. It might legitimatize. Le- well, I can't even speak. It might make that legitimate. Um, yeah, 
Thank you, squarespace.com. But on to this week's guest, it's Mr. Billy Bragg. Um, yeah, amazing to get to, to sit down and, and talk with this guy. He's been a hero of mine for a long time and a friend for a shorter amount of time, but I'm incredibly proud to have him as a friend. So enjoy the podcast and I'll talk to you at the end about next week's podcast and all sorts of other stuff. See you in a bit. Yeah, I mean, oh God, I've got all sorts of, of reverb on. Wow, far out, man. I thought I'd planned this. Do you like Elvis? <laughs> it is. It's over the top. Exit. Right, how are we now? There we go. Right, now it's working. Just need a sugar hit. Yeah, so I'm joined by Billy Bragg as he's eating a nice... Chocolate twirl, it's a chocolate uh, twirl, I think it's called. It looks delicious. It's chocolatey and it's twirled. Yeah. Well, you know, it was in a suspiciously ill-lit coffee shop. And it didn't, I didn't have anything else that it was... Um, Cakey, I do like a bit of cake. Are they good, them swirls? I never know what it is. There's there's something that's holding the chocolate in. It's like a yellowy paste normally, and I don't know what it mm. is, but it's delicious. Over the years, I've come to realise that <clears throat> if I don't put my glasses on to eat, things are you know <laughs> things are delicious. You know, it's safer that way. There's less. Yeah, I'm sure it's less to get I, worried about. Up close, I can't. I can see that brown stuff is probably chocolate, and the white stuff is probably the the pastry. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, I'll soon find that. I'll stick it in my mouth. Uh, I mean, pastries is, you know, I've got a list of things to discuss and pastries was at off. the top of that. So yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I'm glad I'm, we got off. I'm in a difficult period now. I'm on, um, I'm on mince pie withdrawal. Oh, wow. I've never, I've never been a mince pie man. Oh, man. I don't get it. Now our, now our son is like 21. Um, he's, not, he's still a bit of a kid, but he's not a little kid now. Yeah. <clears throat> mince pies are the best thing about Christmas. Yeah. I love it. It's the one... I mean, the, third, the sort of early Christmas when there's three or four different types of mince pies available and you work out the one that's going to hit the sweet spot that year. Yeah. And then you get some in and st- stock up, you know. I, I, I need to get into them. I think I've not matured into a, I think a mince pie I think mince, mince, mince pies are a very... Uh, they're very sort of... Um, I don't know. Are they an English thing? I suppose they are. I, don't, I think so. <clears throat> technically, the mince meat, in inverted commas... Is a leftover from um, um, it's Arabic food, isn't it? It's the Arabs who put um, fruit in with their meat right. to help preserve it. Right, and that's how mince meat came into yeah, yeah, English yeah. English cooking from people coming back from right. the Middle East yeah, yeah. and and putting because sometimes the meat will be go a bit sideways, you know, because they've got no way so, of yeah, preserving a, it. So you put sultanas and and dried fruit in, and you get the sweet hit with the with yeah. The sourness of the, um, the 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 meat, and it and it, somehow it kind of came out of yeah, it and got attached kind of got to Christmas. Leftover, got yeah. stuck in the beard of Christmas. Yeah, as you as you do. It's troublesome. I um the the first time I met your son, it gave me a very important uh, a revelation and realization in life. Um, if I ever choose to have a child myself, because um we were chatting and you were intentionally, I think, embarrassing him a little bit at points, or certainly he was <laughs> reacting as if Dad was embarrassing him. Well, that's and his was, kind of default. Yeah, it was a wonderful realisation that you, if I decide to have a child, 
I will always any every child's dad will always be embarrassing because if your dad's Billy Bragg and it's still embarrassing, of course it is. And you're at a festival where he's on the main stage and you're still like, oh god, come on, dad. It's like, I'm still his dad. There's no, no battle. No. There's no battle no, to no. be. I'm, I'm going to try and be the cool dad. No, it's like no, no, no. It's, it's, not, it's impossible to do that. It's yeah. impossible to. And I've seen, you know, I've seen, um, <clears throat> I've seen Willis kid get a bit sort of, you know, yeah. sort of umpy like that, and you know, <laughs> well, it just it's just one of those things. I mean, particularly. Um, at a gig, yeah. when everyone's around, you know, falling a bit and everything. Yeah. I mean, it's just the way people are. They want to come up and say hello. They want to have your photograph taken of you. That's really annoying. Yeah. It's your dad. It's like so. <laughs> so bless him. He's in a band now, but he doesn't allow me to come to his gigs for that reason. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to do what he That's does. That's nice though. Yeah, That's yeah, nice. I to really keep respect it. I really, uh, I really respect it. Yeah, it's it's really. Oh, oh, what's the band's name? Oh, if I say that, that'll spoil the whole thing. Oh, so I can't yeah, say no, that. No, but the, my point is that he's, you know, he's got it. He wants to do it, and you know. He's he yeah he does do that oh that's really embarrassing but excuse me when we um when we did Amersmith Odeon yeah last year sold out Amersmith Odeon I had Amazing. three bands a load of people came on and played he just sat in the wings and just watched yeah the stagecraft of it yeah he's just watching now to because that's the one because we he writes his own songs and we don't really talk a great deal about that he plays his songs to me but I don't want to be like oh you know what you do you know yeah. I don't want to do that but sometimes he comes home and he says you know. Oh, I lost the crowd tonight. I don't know what I did. I did this, I did that, and I did this. And it normally happens and it didn't happen. And we sort of talk yeah. about that, you know. That's really so, good. That's yeah, great to have yeah. that ad- advice. We had, had Frank Turner on last week and we were discussing how, um, uh, for both of us, seeing you control and have a crowd in the palm of your hand with just a you and a guitar was mm. a, a huge lesson in, mm. in stagecraft for me and it's you know it's, it's good to be able to hand that yeah, off it can directly. be done I mean some, night, some nights they get away from you you know sometimes circumstances yeah. um, are above you I mean you know in the particular conversation I had with a boy uh, it was Saturday night yeah. and they were talking at the bar and he couldn't get and I'm like, like Jack you know on Saturday night you're providing a sound check of people who are trying to get shagged yeah you yeah. know you're just gonna unless you're the name act and they've paid a ticket to see you yeah. a band like yourselves you're you know you've just got to go there you've just got to overcome that and give your best show yeah, and almost despite them, you yeah. know, really, really lay it all down here. And I think he's got that. He's got that idea. He doesn't let much throw him. I think in it's, that sense, it's, it, it, it <clears> can end up if you get the right uh, a mindset on it. It can end up being a weird motivation in those situations. I remember me and Dan early on did, did, did a show where we were on at one or two o'clock in one of the rooms in a club that had like multi rooms that yeah, were yeah. themed, and one of them was a karaoke room. They sold hot dogs in this club. It was a a weird place, and we were in like the Aspen Ski Lodge, and we're playing, <laughs> and it wasn't a pleasant scenario to no, be no. doing yourself. But four or five people had turned up specifically for us. And we put on one of the best gigs we've ever put on because it was like, right, they've had to sit through this this, shit up until now and now they're here to see us. So rather than going, oh, there's only a few people here who care, everyone else is ignoring, it's like, right, no, we need to go out and put on a full full show for these guys. You owe it to whoever's there. And if the the crowd are there and they're not interested in, in you, then you owe it to yourself to make get their attention in some way, yeah, in some way or other. My apprenticeship, such as it was, uh, as a solo performer, was mostly done in a in a, in a pub just south of the um, uh, Blackwall Tunnel, yeah, um, which was called the Tunnel, and um, in the early eighties, in nineteen eighty two, when I was first starting out solo, they had music on there. Um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. Mm-hmm. And I initially got a gig on Thursday night yeah. for, for, you know, 
beer money, really, yeah, for nothing. Yeah. Which was fine by me, because I, I just had to get down there. And it was a no, no cost to me. I was living in Barking. And um, I just had to open for whoever was on. Yeah. And some nights it was a heavy metal band, some nights it was a funk band. One night it was a band called uh, uh, True Life Confessions who had two strippers and a stand-up drummer. And, you know, <laughs> you I, just, I just had to take them on. And one of the most annoying things about the gig was they had a, in the far corner they had a video jukebox. Yeah. A jukebox that played, this is at the height of the video right, thing, yeah, yeah. played a video. And they didn't used to switch it off when I was on stage. Yeah. And the sound was down, but the video, so there would be people watching, you know. So I used to have to riff on whatever was... Going on, going on there. Stupid things happen in the video. Trying to keep their attention. Yeah. And eventually, it just sharpened me up. You know. It's and how you and, build and it, I right? saw it's yeah. the tough gigs <clears throat> that allow you to. And to because build I was that. going every week, I kind of got the got a handle on it. So I sort of progressed from Thursday to Friday to Saturday, mm. and um, eventually, sort of, you know, could pull a little bit of a crowd myself. So. I think yeah. you need you need that experience, but there's always those gigs where for, for some reason you don't can't put your finger on it, just falls flat, or you feel yeah. it falls flat. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. But I know. the audience reactions you can never really, I don't think you can never really be absolutely sure about them. I've done gigs where I thought for some whatever. I mean, once I did a gig where my voice disappeared completely, the whole top of my register yeah. disappeared, and uh, in the sound check I knew, and I said it was in it was in uh, Minneapolis, and I said to my manager. Oh, man, I'm not going to be out of sync tonight. I've just got no voice. Mm. What's going to happen? And he said to me, you know, Bill, nobody comes to hear you sing. Don't worry about it. Just do what you normally do. Yeah. And they'll find I went out there and it ended up, I played the songs and they sang the songs. Amazing. And, and I w felt really bad about the whole thing. Every time I got to Minneapolis, someone said, oh, it's such a great night. I really enjoy it. Why don't you do one of those gigs again where we all just sang the songs? It was like, I was like sort work, of PC, right? you know, yeah. just leading them through it. And, and they were choosing the songs and I was, you know, it was awful for me from where I was standing. Yeah, but a great thing. And and, and, and does that become a tool? Because one of my favourite, obviously it's it's a big song and I'm sure it's always been away, but one of my f genuinely favourite memories of any gig was when we all did Wembley with Frank yeah. and watching you from stage side and seeing on New England you literally having to play one chord of the chorus and then the whole of Wembley singing that back to you and that was a I've seen you live before in a lot of different crowds but that's the first time I'd I'm not normally a fan of being stage side I like no, no. being out in the crowd yeah, but me too. in that moment I got it I got the stage side <laughs> thing because I was like wow just to look out and see all their faces yep. and again you were not the headline act there, no, so no. it meant all the more or it felt like it meant all the more that they yeah two things did is two, one call. two things you've got to say there firstly uh, thank God for Kirsty McColl yep. for having yeah, a huge yeah, hit true, with New England true, yeah, and putting yeah, it in yeah. everyone's minds yeah. and Secondly, respect to Frank's crowd. Yeah. Because I, when I was there, you know, I went there once when uh, uh, Strummer was opening for The Who yeah. and it was empty. All The Who fans were in the bars while Strummer was on. There right. was, you know, a thousand or two thousand yeah. of us watching him. I didn't know what it was going to be like. So I, I watched you from the audience yeah. and I watched you from the back as well because I wanted to try, because I don't normally play that size room. I wanted yeah. to see, how, you know, how, how it, it sounded. Yeah, how yeah, it sounded. Yeah, yeah, you definitely. were talking. Could I hear what you were saying? Yeah. You know, it was crucial. And even when Beans on Toast was on before you, I would say it was three quarters full. When you were it there, amazing. it was full. Frank's crowd just were so welcoming to everybody. Yeah. They weren't, you know, they realised they were at an event. They realised that Frank agree. had put his his heart into putting something together for them and they yeah. responded and once once I'd seen your set from the back it really made me feel that I, could, I had the confidence to get up on yeah. the high wire and do that kind of stuff that's great I mean it's amazing <clears> it's <throat> that thing that um, uh, Frank and me and Dan have always had been proud of our fan base for this but over the years you, you build that fan base and we discussed this last week of 
people just just or, or basically saying to people, look, we're going to give you your money's worth. Mm. If you get you get in at doors, you're going to get basically more than your money's worth, yeah. and it's worth yeah. it's worth doing that these yeah. days. So it's great that they were. I thought exactly the same. The fact that when we walked out, it was like. This is a full Wembley Arena. This is they're all this listening. Isn't a they're all awesome engaging. Awesome. They're yeah. not talking. No. You know, it was really, it was a really great little gig. That I loved it. Yeah. And um, you know, more more power to them because those gigs can be a bit soul destroying. You know, I've known yeah. bands who've gone on, you know, gone out on opening stadiums for you know U two and people like that. You know, Tough and gig. they're just playing in the daylight Tough to people gig, who are buying yeah. hot dogs. Yeah, it can be soul destroying that. Yeah. and it wasn't that at all. I and mean, I really felt part of the whole thing there. I agree. I agree. As, as you were saying, you give every now and then with stagecraft, you give uh, your boy a bit of advice. If he comes and asks you, did you get much advice? Like, how was your your upbringing to, uh, an influence on your on your writing and performing? Well, I think my the up the up the influence of my upbringing was uh, more a sort of a sense of independence that I got from my mum. She was a fiercely independent woman, yeah. and that's sort of like. I think I've got a lot of that from her, that you've got yeah. to make your own way. You've got to come up with your own ideas. No one's going to come and give you the opportunities. You've really not only got to take them, you've got to create them. Yeah, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to pick the ball up from dead and kick it up, give it some speed and kick it where you want to kick it. Yeah. And that was my, that was always my mum's attitude. Um, and I think sort of coming from East London in the in the 70s, that was kind of outside of the music industry completely. It wasn't cool. It wasn't groovy. Everything that was interesting was happening either in, in the in the West End or in West London. Yeah. For me, that was punk. You know, everything seemed to come over from that side of town. Yeah, sure. So I always felt a bit of an outsider in that sense. Um, I didn't really come from a particularly musical family. I had uncles who played a bit of music, uh, but my mum and my dad weren't really into music. We never had a record player when I was a kid, so I had to kind of find, you know, I sort of connected very early on, age sort of 11, 12, with songs that seemed to have said something to me about my little life in a weird yeah. kind of way, you know, yeah. people like Simon and Garfunkel and and uh, weird things like uh, It Mech by Desmond Decker right. in the Aces. I don't know why yeah. it, yeah, it yeah, connected yeah. with me, but it just gave me a sort of... yeah. I want to dance kind of thing, and um, I think I've 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 always been a a bit of a solitary individual in the sense that I sort of make my own space and I'm happy in my own company. Yeah. One of the one of the um, joys of my young life was that my mum and dad used to go out a lot. Right. So yeah. you know, at the weekends they were either ballroom dancing, which they loved. Yeah. And. Um, after I, you know, after I was old enough to stay at home on my own, all they'd be at my brother was in Barking Swimming Club, so right. they'd be at a gala somewhere with my brother. So I was kind of left to my own devices at yeah. home, and and I so I sort of grew myself a inner life that that I found really uh, sort of you know nourished my imagination. Yeah. And I was writing songs from the age of about twelve or thirteen. The kid next door taught me to play guitar when I was sixteen, and I always I kind of always wanted to do this job. Yeah. So, it's amazing having that. It, it's not everyone relishes in that in their own space and, and their own time. I'm similar. I like a lot of. I've always had a lot of time on my own, and I, I, I feel I'm at my most productive and motivated then. So it's great that if that clicks, that then even without having a close relative or anyone that's kind of pushing you in that yeah. direction, if anything, it's more inspired by the fact there that's in the other direction and you want to be over there you yeah. want to kind of be involved in that I mean I do worry sometimes that I could engage more with my family mm. that I'm sort of 
you know, it's the kind of uh, whether I'm actually partaking in this or whether I'm just observing it and making yeah. notes. Yeah. And I do sometimes stray, or I worry that I stray a little bit to that line, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, being in a relationship with, with Juliet, my partner now, for 22, 23 years has been really good for that. Yeah. Because it's, it's changed my perspective from that sort of adolescent one that sort of drove me through, you know, the Saturday boy and, yeah. and all that kind of, you know, sort of like the short answer and greets to the new brunette. It yeah, brings yeah, me yeah, into yeah. a real world of real relationships and the real things that you struggle with. You know, yeah. how do you maintain long-term relationships? That's one of the great challenges that that we face, you yeah. know. Um, and many, in every many walk stumble, of life, but many particularly stumble. in a touring, yeah, in yeah. that kind of, in the music industry. That's... Well, I'm so lucky with Juliet because <clears throat> when I was still dreaming about all these things mm. and working in a second-hand record shop and that she was out on the road managing selector around oh, the United wow. States of America. You know, she was yeah. involved in two-tone, right. setting out with Jerry yeah. Damas. Before that, she worked for um, Miles Copeland. Wow. And his little, you know, step forward and all that. She hung out with... Um, uh, you know, uh, Mark Perry at uh, yeah. Sniffing Glue. So the great thing, the reason why that's the bedrock of our relationship is not just because um, she has incredible insights into, mm. you know, how to have a long-term career, but the best thing about it was she knows how fucking boring it is out on the road. That's what I was going to say. It's, she's been there, so there isn't that illusion of, oh, you're out enjoying yourself you're for four months and then you come home. It's like, no, you're out being you're, bored yeah, and working yeah, hard and yeah. work, you know. She knows it's it work. That's one yeah. of the greatest, the greatest things about our relationship. And I think and why... And it's great because that's, that's something that's almost impossible to communicate about it experiencing is. it. It's easy to say, yeah, I understand, but still, if you've not you're done Australia. it, you're still going to be sitting yeah. at home thinking, you've been to America, yeah. Australia, I was just in Australia. I was just in Australia for a week. Yeah. You know, two weeks ago, I went to Australia for a week yeah. to um, write some songs, uh, record them, and do a little gig for a TV documentary about people, uh, radicals, who were transported to Australia in the 18... 18- Hundreds, the early 1800s. Oh, wow. So we're talking about chartists who were trying to reform uh, government at the time and get universal suffrage. Right. Um, Fenians who were trying to get uh, independent Ireland. Uh, Americans who were trying to invade Canada and liberate Canada from the crown. These kind of people, they were all sent to Australia. That's amazing. It is amazing. It's an amazing thing to do. But I tell you, I was, you know, I was there working 24-7. The TV people yeah. coming at me yeah. sit at 9 o'clock in the morning to rehearse. I came back about 7 o'clock at night. I'm still getting over jet lag, you know. Yeah. It was also, it was Hobart, Tasmania, which is yeah. closest part of Australia to the South Pole. Right. And even though it was summer, the first thing I had to do was buy a jumper. I'm not complaining, everyone. <laughs> I know you're sitting there, I'm thinking, oh, it's all right for you. But the point is this. It is work. Yeah. It is a job. And I think, if anything, our experience as a family, my experience, Juliet's experience, and now our boy's experience, is such that he um, he has that insight. He, I don't think he yeah. has any um, has any uh, illusions yeah, about about the slog of it. He yeah. loves playing, like we all yeah. do. Yeah, it's the bit in between. What was it they say that it's the <clears throat> it's the sitting around and the travel and all that that they pay us for. Yeah, we yeah, do the other shit for, for free. free. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, completely. I think it's um, it's it's a fascinating um, quandary, really, because when you choose to do the thing you love as your job, you got to be willing to accept that that becomes your job. Mm. That becomes work. It stops being yeah. your. It still can be your passion in many ways, yeah. but in more in more ways really it becomes your job it becomes something you have to do yeah. and it's in, no matter how much 
you, you love your job. No one loves their job all the time. No. It's always there's always going to be a point where you'd rather not be at work. So it's it's a it's a a tough thing to choose to do for, for a living it because is. you risk ruining something you you do you, your love for something you're you're passionate. I mean, on about. one hand, you have to remember how, how privileged you are to be able to do the thing you always wanted to do yeah. and get paid for it. Yeah. Most people Completely. don't have that privilege. Yeah. But having having found that life, you then have to have the courage to live it yeah. and to not be cowed by the fact you've got to get on an aeroplane and go to Australia. Because yeah. I'm, I'm not a great flyer. I'm not... Yeah. Obviously, I'm nervous. Yeah. I'm just... I'm never... I'm never relaxed up there. I can't yeah. sleep on aeroplanes. I don't... I don't like it. You know, sometimes it's... If this... You know, it's a grey old day and the sky looks a bit mean. You know, I sit and get on the plane. I sit and I think, you know, I wish it was somewhere else. And you know, and then if it really gets bad, I think to myself, imagine, you know, you're flying to Australia to do a TV program uh, about, um, you know, uh, this chart. This everyone loves, you know. Imagine how long the queue of people would be to sit here and do this job now. If you yeah. turn around and said, you know what, guys, I've had enough. How long? Just the people I know. Yeah, yeah, And the never mind the people I don't yeah. know. And I'm, that kind of helps keep it in perspective, you know. I, I remember the guilt I felt uh, when we did our first, our one really big American tour, mm. and that can be gr- gruelling. It was it 24 can. shows in 25 days. It can be and murder. A, a TV show in the middle. Yeah. I remember the guilt I felt on one of the, the, the long drives as I was sitting there f- fantasising about uh, being... Are back working the tills at HMV, and yeah. I was genuinely like, I, I, I wish I was there, and I felt so bad because like, I'm doing what like everyone I left there, everyone that's still working, all my mates would give anything to be here right now. Yeah, yeah in that moment, yeah, I was I was pining f- uh, for it, and that I mean, kind of that felt I, ridiculous. I'm fortunate in that all the things I ever wanted to happen to me happened to me. Yeah, and it made me really happy. Yeah, yeah. I know people doing this job that all the things they hoped would happen to them and more happened and it didn't make them any happier than they were before and that to yeah, me is such scary. a terrible terrible um you know i've sat on tour buses and watched the you know the lead singers of bands just be miserable yeah because and where can where do they have to go then where do they have to go their dreams they've realized their dream yeah and it's made their they feel it's made their life shit there's not a lot you can say to someone it's in that situation, you for, you know, you've got everything you wanted, and where do you go from there? You yeah, know, it's the ter- it's, it's a dark the, it's situation. The, you know, when the when the gods want to make you mad, they first make your dreams come true. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I feel fortunate in that I still love the gig I'm doing. Yeah, and there are still people out there interesting. You know, I can go to Australia and there's people interested in what I've got to say. Yeah, that's the that's the the thing that's I think I'm most willing to celebrate because it was like last year it was 30 years since life's right with. Spy vs. Five, 30 schmerty, really. Yeah. But the fact that after all this time, there's still people interested enough to listen to this podcast. Yeah. Um, that's the thing worth it's celebrating. Blowing, you know, right? exactly, right. And, and you know, I hope more people get the opportunity to, to do this. That's one of the things I worry about, the way the music industry has gone now, that it's more difficult, perhaps, for someone to do the sort of thing that you and I do, which is make yeah. music on their own terms 100%. and not be, not be groomed or shaped yeah. or... Or, you know, yeah, well, of course we've made compromises. Yeah. I'm sure you have. Yeah, I know yeah, I have. Sure. Yeah. But I've, t- I've tried to make those compromises on my terms. Yeah. Not all the time, but most of the time. And, you know, it served me it served me good. But I look at the, you know, what passes for the charts these days, and I, I worry that there's not enough people out there who are 
questioning or angular or difficult. You know, I don't. don't we don't need political. Yeah. I don't, I'm not. I'm not asking people to be capital P political like I was in the 1980s because these are different times. Yeah, but I think I, it's 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 a it's it's a misconception that if you write or speak anything political that you feel all music should be that way. Yeah. I don't think that's the case at all. No, I, I think I, yeah. there's space for everything, but in the right way. Yeah. I mean, if you look at all the songs I've written, majority have been love songs, you yeah. know, personal relationship songs. Yeah. Because I'm basically, I'm not a political songwriter, I'm a pissed-off songwriter. I write about the yeah. things that piss me off. Yeah. Now, sometimes that is politics. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, often yeah. it's my behaviour, my relationships, the way the world is, poor, pitiful me, you know, yeah. all the things that people go through, and that's yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. trying to write about. But, I, you know... There's a lot of pressure out there on young people at the moment. This generation coming through now yeah. is going to be the first, it looks like anyway, that are going to grow up to be poorer than their parents. Yeah. And the pressure on them is, I would argue, worse than it was in the 70s for right. a lot of us, when you could still get a doll. Yeah. You know, taxpayers paid for my apprenticeship in the music yeah, industry, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm always thankful for that. Could have gone to university for free if I wanted to. Yeah. So that pressure, I want to hear about that pressure. Yeah. It doesn't have to be political. Yeah. I just want to hear the feeling, the pain, the frustration, the anger. I want to hear music that talks about that. Because yeah. unless unless young people do start talking about those things, mm-hmm. some other smarmy, sort of shiny-faced politician will come along and start talking for them. Yeah. And that's when things start to get a bit dangerous. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Completely. So when you were starting off, what kind of inspired you to start making music, to get up there, and then to to have a say, to speak politically and vocally? Well, you know, Pip, I come from another century, mate. Right. (laughs) You know, it's another world. Yeah. You've got to remember that in the 20th century, music was the only social medium that we had. Yeah. You know, there was no other way of having your voice heard. When I was yeah. 19, no one was interested in letting me write the equivalent of a, a blog or make a radio programme or write a column in a newspaper, which would have been the equivalent, I suppose, of a yeah, blog, yeah, sure. or write a book. The only way to get my own unedited thoughts out there was to learn to play the guitar, write songs, and do gigs. And the reason that that was good was because that was how we spoke to one another mm. as our generation, and we spoke to our parents' generation. And the, and the discourse that we had through song, but also through the music press, there used to be free weekly newspapers yeah. in the UK. There's loads of you know opportunities to speak your mind. And because um, pop music wasn't ubiquitous in the way it is now, it was still seen as kind of... Um, if you were making pop music and you weren't Lulu or Cliff Richard, yeah. you were kind of like a, an outsider. You were like a a rebel right. in some ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And particularly after 1968, when when music really took a, a strong radical turn. I mean, 1968, you know, the, the riots in France, mm-hmm. uh, the, the uh, United States of America, there was a huge uh, bust up at the Democratic Convention yeah. uh, with Phil Oaks, the uh, anti-Vietnam demonstrations here in the UK. Yeah. Um, after that, if you were making rock music... And by rock music, I mean music that wasn't sort of bubblegum music. You were expected to be able to articulate in interviews, if not in song, an alternative vision of the world. Because by simply making rock music, you were part of an alternative culture. Yeah. 
Even yeah. though, even if you were, you know, making prog rock or heavy metal, you know, you were still living and you dressed differently. You had long hair. You did nothing like your parents at all. You know, me and my yeah. parents had nothing in common culturally, really, apart from, um, you know, some movies we watched when I was growing up, but mu in music terms. Yeah. Uh, whereas my son, you know, bless him, has my iPod. Yeah. You know, yeah, all yeah, the stuff yeah. I've got on mine, because he, he thinks all the best music was made in the 20th century. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, he's a huge Ramones fan. You know, yeah, he's sort of like... Great. He came back from college one time and said to me, Dad, why has nobody at college heard of the skids? <laughs> I said, well, son, we'll have to have a chat about that. Um, <laughs> and, and so... You know that that um, the idea that that you would use music to channel the anger that you might yeah. put in a blog or a tweet or a Facebook post, yeah, uh, made absolute sense. Why why would you not want to make music that express your view of the world? Yeah, and then just around the time I got the ability to do that, bugger me, punk happened. Yeah, and all of a sudden they Good were handing out they were handing out licenses to yeah. cause problem. You know, here you go, son. You want to be in a band? Yeah, 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 yeah. Can't play the guitar. <laughs> you know, who cares? Get up there and make a round. Get so, around to it. Yeah, so that You'll you learn. know, and I think I think punk represented the last wave of kids who um, had grown up before pop music became the sort of the centre of our culture, the ubiquitous thing that is yeah. now the soundtrack for everything. Yeah, 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 you know, sure. There used to be like three programmes a week on the telly about pop music, Top of the Pops, Old yeah. Grey Whistle Test and Lift Off with Asia. Yeah. You know, and so it was, it, it wasn't like it is now. Um, it's it's I, great, a great point that at that point, punk and alternative weren't just a dress code no. or a scene like that. No. They, it, it, it was, if you were in any of them scenes, there was some political backbone. There was some a radical backbone yep. to everything, to the way you thought, or at least the way you thought you thought, essentially. Yeah. I'm not going to say that every punk was nope. had a degree in politics, no, but no. They, they definitely I would have but had that line ones, that they even believed the, in. Even at the ones that weren't political, that were simply angry and nihilistic, yeah. we still had something to say. Yeah. You know, there was no compromise. They, they were in your and face. And it tended to be clear who they would, they needed to be angry at. You exactly. know, kind of it. So some alternative music these days, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm, you know, I remember what it's supposed to be an alternative to. I have to sound like an old yeah. geezer. No, no. But, um, you know, the the notion of alternative has, has changed a lot, as the notion of indie as well. Um, I mean, you know, times change and, and, you know, music has a different role now. I think it's still important to people and the fact that people still go to gigs. Yeah. You know, and love it and respond to it. It's crazy that gig in, the, the gig attendance is still as high as it is, and it feels like the the one at the moment the the one thing that it seems almost impossible to break of the music industry. The live experience can't be can't be put on CD, can't be burnt, can't be manufactured. Yeah, the photographers are fucked. Yeah, you know, the filmmakers are fucked. Yeah, the writers are fucked. But we've still got the one thing that people can't get many other places outside of church and football and that is communion yeah being in a room with a load of like-minded people singing along at the top of your voice to a song that you love with the person who originally sang it yeah you can't what well, someone said to me uh you can experience a download but you can't download an experience yeah you, know? yeah, you yeah, can't yeah, yeah, yeah. that sweaty feeling in the mosh pit you know that 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 anthemic moment when the, the person who's singing the song that makes you burst into tears mm. sings it, and not only that, 2,000 people sing it with you, yeah. which then 
whatever emotion it was that this song brings up in you, that emotion is totally accepted. Yeah. It can be anything. Completely. It could be anything. It could be the death of someone you love. It could be the, the unrequited love you have for someone. But when everyone's singing it together and you're there, yeah. suddenly you feel like that feeling that you've got, it's okay. It's, it's okay such, to yeah, have this feeling. Completely. You can't it's, get that anywhere else. It's man. such an important sh- shared experience. I remember I was driving home once and a Bon Jovi gig was on the radio. Yeah. And again, the radio didn't get the true feeling across. And I'm no big Bon Jovi fan, but when they played certain songs and you could hear a stadium full of yeah, people yeah. all singing their hearts mm, out, yeah. I wanted to be there. Yeah. I wanted to yeah. be there more than anything else. I never, like, I'm not even into this band, but I yeah. this just the passion everyone has then, mm. and I know this song, you know, yeah. by chance, it's like, I want to be there yeah. in that. I mean, I never really got Oasis. Yeah. They sort of like, pew, just went yeah. for whatever reason. But I caught them when they played at Glastonbury. I didn't see them, yeah. but I was nearby and I heard everybody singing along and I thought, yeah. oh, that's what it is. I see what that that's is now. It. I get it's it now. Special. This is so open. These songs are so open and they're so all-encompassing yeah. that they're like, you know, you're you're part of this. And I think you, there's a lot, in, and because of the nature of the internet, you don't get that feeling of solidarity. And I don't mean that in a political sense you don't get that emotional solidarity you're with other people who feel the same you because a lot of time i think we feel like we're the only person in the world who feels this sort of stuff we're the only person in the world who experiences these doubts or urges or frustrations but i think although we our situations are all different the way we feel about them is actually quite similar and a song can sometimes cut through all the bullshit and just Put its finger on that yeah. bit in your heart, yeah. and you're, you're, it's released for a moment. And if that release, yeah, it can happen when you're at home. It can be in the supermarket. Something can come in yeah. the supermarket, and a song can just yeah. get you. But if you're in a ma- you know, if you're in thousands of people, yeah, and everyone's punching the air together, real. it's, it's, you know, it's the emotional, uh, sort of like the, it's like a, a breaking of a, a, a wall. You know, it's sort of tidal wave for a wall. You can get all that, and you just can't get that from from sort of sitting on your own, no. you know, liking stuff on yeah, on toe rag. Exactly. Do you, do you remember the um, the first gigs, or does anyone spring to mind of the first times you experienced that as as a crowd member? Because I think it is a different thing from, from watching local bands and generally experiencing just, I'm mm-hmm. here for a gig, yeah. it's just a night yeah. out. And then that experience of, wow, this is so much more than just, I wanted to go and have a few drinks and yeah, watch a show. A, there's a photograph of me that my son really... Uh, really despises, he hates to yeah. be reminded of it. Uh, and I've got five tickets to see the Rolling Stones and five six tickets to see The Who. Yeah. It's from 1976. Yeah. Me and my mates, we saw The Stones at um, Earl's Court and The Who at Charlton. Amazing. Within 10 days of yeah. each other. And um, at the time, we were absolutely obsessed by their earlier stuff, really, but we were really into sort of early Stones, early Who. And, uh, you know, the only thing that could have topped it is if there'd have been a Small Faces gig on as well, we could have gone to see them, but we had to wait a couple of years for their reunion. But anyway, that was the first time I got that emotional feeling. But the first time I actually felt connected in a a real sense Mm -hmm. was uh, seeing The Clash at the Rainbow in 1977 on the the White Riot Tour. Me and my mates had, had been a bit doubtful about punk. We thought... It seemed to me to be a bit art schooly. You know, we were listening to like Doctor Feelgood, you know, early Stones, early Who, early Small Faces, and uh, we've been to see the Jam because they fitted right into that. And yeah. we, it seemed to me they they were a bit more real. Yeah, they seemed to speak of something real that wasn't trying to hype, be artsy. Yeah, yeah, I get you that. Know? Yeah, I understand. And so 
the we seen the we went to see the jam at the uh, at the Nashville, which is now the Free Kings at West Kensington, yeah, on the Great West Road, and uh, oh, they were just incredible. They were incendiary, and they announced they were playing at the Rainbow with the Clash. And we, we went along really expecting the jam to blow the Clash, the Clash away because the Clash was just these artsy-fartsy guys from West London. But actually, to be honest, the jam hadn't quite worked out a play stage that big. Right. And for all their leaping around and their great songs, they just didn't get it. The Clash came on and they were just like... It was like the seeing the Stones again. They were just yeah. immense. And funny enough, they kind of had the same equipment of the Stones and they f- threw some quite similar shapes. Yeah. You know, it was... Yeah. Uh, but, the, but the real... Revelation of it, the, the sort of like um, Damascene moment, was that they were the same age as us. Yeah, and me and That's my mates, we went as a band. Right. Yeah, we went as a band, and we we all came out with the same conclusion, which is, the, how do you do it? You know, how do you get from where you're playing in my mum's back room in Barking to the Rolling Stones? Yeah. How do you, we had no idea how to get it. When we saw the Clash, we knew how to do it. You just fucking do it. Yeah, you idiot. Yeah, you just fucking do it. Yeah, you don't wait. It's the, it's, you just do it. It's the most plainly hidden secret in 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 the industry that the big the big difference is getting out there and actually doing but it. But I think everybody has that moment. I think you know I was reading something recently about um, uh, you know the very beginnings of British rock with Skiffle mm. and people seeing Lonnie Donegan. You know people like George Harrison seeing Lonnie Donegan and thinking I could do that. Yeah, he's not. You don't have to be Elvis Presley. Yeah, I could do that. You don't have to be Little Richard. Yeah. He's really, you know, Donegan really used to give it loads. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. could do that. And, and I think you, every artist needs that. I could do that. When you go and see someone and you kind of, you know, obviously you've got to have the urge to be wanting to do it. You've got to have the frustration of, of, of not being able to do it. But suddenly you see someone and, you, and you, it sort of, the ducks line up and you think, yeah, oh, I see how to do that now. Yeah. I see what this guy's doing, what this band are doing. I could do that. Yeah. That's great. So, so you saw, you saw the clash, and you yeah. saw Strummer, and it, you know it kind of spurred you on in that way. At what point did you kind of realise? Um, I guess the power, as cheesy as it sounds, the power of of of, of songwriting and of music, and uh, whether it be political or or you know a leaning in in the area. There was obviously certainly a long period where mm. politics and Billy Bragg. A, a walked hand in hand, yeah. maybe reluctantly at points, but that grip was tight. So, mm. yeah, what was it that kind of made you feel that, right, I can actually, what I say into this microphone with Wasn't this guitar? Really. Uh, there was a girl that I knew, I wrote a song for her, I played it to her and she burst into tears. And I thought, yeah. fuck me, this is good. This is interesting. <laughs> well, this is really interesting. Yeah, so... Um, it's the simplicity yeah, of it. Exactly. The simplicity of it, the fact that that there's something about a song that is more than just a conversation or, or you know, writing some prose to give to someone. Yeah. The actual personal performance, the song of it, is something that, you know, I, I think it's the difference between going in the ear and going straight into the heart. Yeah. And I've always found that the songs that I that really touched me were the ones that went yeah. into the heart. So, yeah, it wasn't political at all, mate. No, it was... Imagine if... If that girl just hadn't really liked it, or just hadn't really, I'd have carried on. Had something else on her I'd mind. I'd have carried just on. Just kind of just been like, oh, if, all right. If Kirsty never covered New England, if I had a job, you know, uh, so flipping burgers, years. I would still be playing at the weekend. Yeah, you know, I would. You got to do it. Yeah, you got to do it. I mean, you know, I can guarantee eighty percent, probably higher, of the people who gig in London on Saturday night this yeah. week will not be professional musicians. Yeah. 
they'll have shitty day jobs that they fucking hate. Yeah. And at the weekend, they get up there and they play whatever, some Oasis songs or whatever that they love. And it just allows them to get it out of their system and, and you know, for a moment, throw it all aside. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, get through. And those people are our peers. Yeah. There's no, no difference between just because we can make a living doesn't mean we're any better than them. Yeah. No, you I know, agree. They're doing, it, they're doing it for the same reason we do it, for the buzz, yeah. for, the, for, the, for the rush, and for the feeling that there is something else other than just the, the drudge. Yeah, and, and the reality is if you do it for any other reason, you should probably stop because you may get some brief success, but it... You know, it, as as we keep moaning on about, it is going to be hard work and it is going to be... So you've got to enjoy it <clears throat> yeah, up there. Yeah, I yeah. always feel the reason I never feel nervous on stage. As, as I had an interview earlier uh, and someone asked how nervous I get. Um, and I had to explain the reason I don't get nervous on stage is because that's the bit I look, look yeah. forward to. That's the bit that this is all for. I'm mm. going through all the other stuff yeah. for that moment. In fact, the one, the one time I've been nervous on stage was when... Y- you kindly agreed to join me and Dan for one song well, at Coco. You were nervous. I hadn't even thought about it. No, even in the sound check, I hadn't even thought about it until you literally walked out and I was like, so we're going to play a Billy Bragg song with Billy Bragg. In the middle. In the middle. I'm yeah. just going to have a sing-along. Yeah. I'm going to do a verse. Itch is going to do a verse. Yep. And that was the first time I was like, oh, shit. It was fine. <laughs> well, it, was all, it all worked really well, I thought. It went amazingly. The, you the, said it would work and it worked. The reaction was... Yeah. It, Oh, it was great. You'd express concern that people would think I was I was bringing my dad out to do a song with us, but um, as they, as as we saw when we announced yeah, you, it, it they didn't were, get your audience are, are very well brought up. They're, their they're parents a good have bunch. done their parents have done great work <laughs> playing them great music. They really have. But that I mean that kind of leads me on to another thing. What? How do you think you've kept your 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 love for it and, and passion for it? You're one of the hardest gigging acts. Ever really from yep. from Ember. I remember bumping into you in South by Southwest, running from one show to yeah, another well, show. We'll do that there and we? doing yeah. numerous. But the reality is, a lot of the people that are putting in all the effort there are people who are trying to get signed or trying mm. to make a name. You've you've done your time. You've yeah, worked yeah, yeah. hard. So the fact that you're still there doing that, although there's a lot of people doing it, it feels like it means all the more. Well, <clears throat> I'm st- I'm still excited by it. Yeah, I still enjoy doing it. And it's how I earn my living. It's yep. my bread and butter life. Yeah. You know, studios and, and albums and that's all well and good. It's, ne- it's never been somewhere I've been sort of, you know, happy being there for ages. I'm not I'm not that sort of guy. But playing live, uh, yeah, it's something that I, I really, really love. So I guess I, I think you just have to, you know, you have to see projects that... that take you off on a tangent and follow them one of those would be Mermaid Avenue making yeah. an album with Wilco uh, writing, yeah, writing music with uh, uh, for Woody Guthrie lyrics yeah. and that was such a different thing and it took me to such a open so many different doors on other things um, you know it, there literally is a before and after yeah. effect on that now we didn't sell millions and millions of records but you know, people still write to me the about those those tunes. Yeah. yeah, and if you look on Spotify, there's Mermaid Avenue songs in my top ten, and there's Mermaid Avenue songs in Wilco's top ten. Yeah, uh, you know, and if Woody had a top ten, <clears throat> they'd yeah. be in there. At yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's you know, it it, it was an, and it was a it was a little side project that could have just been, you know, just a literally that just a yeah a side project that we did and everyone forgot about. Yeah. So you got to um, 
you've got to grasp those ideas um, that come along, those opportunities that come along. So you're not just doing the same old, same old. Yeah. You know? It's interesting. Are you you're saying there about not really being a big fan of the studio as as such and I've I've been thinking about that a lot recently and talking to a, a, a lot of people about it and I really think I, it's going to be interesting to see how the album as such de- develops in the way the music industry's changing because quite bluntly my I I I I feel I've always said that I feel an album is finished about a, after a year of touring it yeah. so my experiences on stage and yeah quite bluntly the time in the studio and the recording of an album is to sell to people yeah that's that's the value of it is to give them this here you take it home that's that it's not something i actually have an artistic um a a love for so Mm. part of me regularly thinks why now that people take music for free which again I'm not going to get in an argument over that it no. is what it is it affects me negatively but I see all sides of the kind of argument so it's not one worth discussing but part of me just kind of thinks what is the motivation to record an album there's a huge motivation to to write new songs and to make new material but the excitement from that is playing it in front of a crowd rather than playing it in a studio. Well, I think that's the, pro- that's the problem. Once you, once you, you know, that first record you make and people get it, that really gets you excited. Yeah, completely. If you've got Hugely. any sense, the second record is all the stuff that you didn't put on the first record. You yeah. By the time you get to the third record, if you've been as successful as you hoped you would, your life will have changed so much. How can you make a record now that not only um, is as inspired? Mm-hmm. as the first two, but also takes your idea forward and yep. takes your audience forward with you. I've, you know, my album says, my third album, talking to Taxman about poetry, says on the front, the difficult third album. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm a great believer in third albums. London Calling was a third album. Yeah. Uh, born in the USA, not born in the USA, um, oh, flipping heck, uh, oh, Springsteen's third album now, I've lost, I can see the cover. Can't of think of the name either. It's, um... Anyway, yeah, um, you know, Revolver is a third album. Yeah, you know, they're all uh, third. What what you got to do is, <clears throat> when I go in the studio, I try and raise my game. I might go with half the songs written. Yeah, and then I've the other half. I've got to see what I've got, what it sounds like, and yeah. then based on that go forward with it and not just make the same record I made last time. Now, it yeah, was simple for me in the, at the start because my first album was so empty. Right, yeah. That wasn't very hard on the second album to, to bring in a little bit of keyboard and a trumpet. Yeah. And it wasn't hard on the third album to bring in Johnny Marr and Kirsty McCall. Yeah. By the time I got to the fourth album, I had to really, you know, get up to speed. Yeah. And uh, the the fifth album, you know, you're really then starting to, to get into a situation where you've got to start finding other ways of inspiration and that's around the time my son was born and I started to change the way I was writing sort of a less kind of like adolescent front-ended thing and into a more kind of like a, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years now and if you've been listening to me for 10 years now you're probably having these kind of changes as well. Yeah. Also yeah, at the sure. same time trying to keep in touch with the political developments as well so I hadn't completely given up on that. Yeah. You know, because I'm never going to be able to not be political. Yeah. That's who I am. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to change but I'd like to think that, you know, uh, I'm not sort of just hammering away at it all the time. I toured with bands who were political all the time and never sung any love songs, and it just it bored the tits off me. I don't know what it did to everybody else. I'm into politics, Completely. and it bored I the agree. tits I th- off me. I think with all these things, um, v- v- variation is key to, mm. to cleanse the palate, to make it, it not just become one angry sound. Mm. Um, I do want to talk on on some s- 
long-term political stuff as well. But just just quickly, you mentioned Springsteen there. Yeah. Can we talk for a minute? I, th- I think he's hugely underrated in the UK, a misunderstood. I think people, a lot of people don't realise what an amazing Born to Run. Born to Run. That's yeah. his third album. Born to Run. There you go. You've got, <laughs> got it. it. Thank God. What, what a, yeah, just what a storyteller is and what a performer and what just a, as a as a live guy. Has he influenced in, or inspired in any boss. way? Of course he's, he's amazing. Me. He's the boss. And what I love about his songs is that they always offer redemption. Yeah. No one yeah, is yeah, yeah. no one is is destroyed or cast out, you know. On something like uh, you know, racing in the street from darkness on the end yep. of the town, yeah, such yeah, a yeah. sad song. Yeah. But tonight, my baby and me are going to ride to the sea and wash these sins off our hands. Yeah. That is such a you know. Yeah. There's there's always redemption. Yeah. You know, he's. I mean, I, I happen to think his album, his post nine eleven album, was yeah. the most powerful evocation of that event that yeah. I've read or heard or seen. Film, yeah. book, music, anything. Uh, and, you know, um, City in Ruins, which is a track on it. Yeah. You know, that is, you know, when he says at the end of that, with these hands, with these hands, you know, he's going to build again. Yeah. And the choir joins in with him. And I tear up every time, you know. Yeah, it's I, amazing. I just, you know, he's a great, great songwriter. He's an amazing performer. He gives yeah. His so live performance is just gives so, so long and yep. so... He, he, I mean, he, I, was, I was delighted when uh, Tom Morello joined yeah. joined us because yeah. I'm a big fan of Tom Me as a too. guitarist and just he's got this amazing band yet it feels all at once a one man show and an ensemble yeah, yeah, piece yeah. at the same time yeah. and it's yeah. I mean, I, I first saw him live in 1984 on the uh, on the uh, Born in USA tour yeah. uh, at Meadowland Stadium in New Jersey, um, his home turf, huge. You know, basketball stadium. Yeah, and he made it feel like a club. I I wasn't really up to speed on him before, but I went along with uh, with my agent, my American agent. Said you got to come and see these shows. Yeah, he made it feel like a club gig. It was just yeah. blew my mind. Yeah, and for listening to Springsteen driving around America, there's nobody. Yeah, you know, short of the Flying Burrito Brothers, damn right. With a, with a uh, just a snippet of uh, Neil Young, but yeah. Springsteen really for getting through the miles. He yeah. is the king. He really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I do want to talk um, politically in in a few different ways, mm. and one of the things that I'm, that is immediately on my mind because you made me cry recently. Um, I'm sure it wasn't intentional, um, but I went to see Pride. Oh yeah! I didn't made me cry as well. I still feel honest with you. I didn't have my hopes for. I thought for some reason from the advertising and that I didn't think it was going to be as beautiful a film as it was. And then I'd got close to tears a few times. And at the end, when your voice comes on, and um, it just got me. And uh, see, I wanted to kind of number one, just get some of your thoughts and experiences of of that whole of the miners of of the it was. Lesbians and gays support the miners, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Was that was what the film was kind yeah, yeah. of based around, and how important or how beautiful that was to see to see such such worlds apart scenes of of the gay scene, mm. the gay and, and, and lesbian scene in London, and miners in in Wales, in all yeah. sorts of rural parts yeah. of the world, kind of finding that connection. What's odd? I mean, they're, they're, you know, protesting the, together, the, the finding mine, connection know, the through mine, protest, protesting. The, mine, the mining communities were pretty. Reactionary when, when the yeah. strike started. Yeah, you know they were sexist. Yeah, they were racist. Yeah, they were didn't like you know what the more or less it was like. What do you think you're doing here, son? You yeah. know, and it, it took took a while from to realise that people were genuinely 
there to support them. And by the end, yeah. as you see in the film, they were marching, happily marching alongside you know, uh, people of colour, uh, people of different sexuality. It yeah. really was powerful. For me, the film was... Uh, was even more emotional because the central character, Mark Ashton, I knew Mark. Oh, wow. He worked with Red Wedge. He was a Red Wedge volunteer. Yeah. And, you know, he died at 25. He was one of the first people I knew to die of uh, AIDS, yeah. HIV. And so at the end of the film, when um, Power and the Union came on, yeah. when they are all sort of marching together, yeah. that was emotional enough for me. But when yeah. they started flashing up what, what everybody happens, had done... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it was going to say, you know, that Mark had died. Yeah. And it just, you know, it just, uh, I found it really, really moving. But I'm, you know, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting tweets and uh, mentions on Facebook about that all the time. Yeah. Whoever thought to put Power Beautiful. and Union yeah. just right in the end there. Perfect. And there's a Welsh choir with it as well. If you actually yeah. listen to yeah. the track, I mean, yeah, it's hard yeah, to yeah. through the tears, but there's a Welsh choir joining in with me as well. I mean, it's just, someone should put it out as a 12 inch single. Yeah, amazing. So, so how was it kind of, Kind of at the time to to feel that in involvement and that um, m- musically that genuine immediate impact and response. Yeah. If you know what I mean, I think it isn't you don't seem to feel it so much these days no. that that's that's even a possibility. It feels if there was a song that was political that worked, it still wouldn't feel quite as essential you to a movement. You can't make a, you can't make political music in a vacuum. Yeah, I'm not that, we, not that we're in a vacuum. Yeah. We're, you know, there's plenty going on. You could make it now, but but you can't just make it any old time. You know, it's the it's the circumstances that dictate what happens. And in in 1984, um, when we were when we were working on that, you've got to remember that a lot of the editors of the music papers at the time were kind of children of 1968. Right. You know, they'd been radical in their teens. Yeah. Now they were editing people like Neil Spencer mm. and Tony Stewart. They were they were now editing weekly newspapers and they were willing to put that sort of stuff in the paper they were employing people like uh, um Wells mm. and uh, you know, Exmoor you know SWP and, yeah. and those kind of people and it really seemed to me that uh, when the strike began all my all my sort of like music loving life had been listening to music that had something to say it was either the singer-songwriters from the 60s, you know, Dylan yeah. on down, or the the civil rights soul music of Stax and Motown. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. I was in a situation where it was like, okay, this is a real, you know, it's possibly a revolutionary situation, the government, you know, because you've got to remember in 1974, the miners had brought the government down. Yeah. So there was a possibility that if we... You know, pushing a shove on the land could have been ours. Yeah, we yeah. underestimated Margaret Thatcher and her willingness yeah. to to bring the whole power of the state to bear on the NUM. But a lot of good people who'd never seen a mine or never been down a a mine were very very active in supporting groups. You know, there was a big miner support group in Oxford. There was a lot in uh, here in London. You know, and you go out and do gigs there, and they would send money to the coal fields. But I was fortunate in that I got to go into some of the coal fields. You know. Yeah. And very early on in the strike, I went up north to um, Wearside to do a gig up there, um, you know, with me uh, spiky hair and my punk sensibility. Yeah. And there was this old geezer who was the opening act who sat on stage in a chair. He was a bald old guy, been a a minor, and he sang a cappella. And his songs were so much more radical than mine. Really? His name was Jock Purden. Mm. And... 
he made me realise that we're not the first people that have to fight this fight. Yeah. Other people yeah. have fought this fight before. And, uh, you know, for all the sort of revolutionary sort of posing that went on in 80s pop, and there was a lot of it, mostly, yeah. you know, there's some revolutionary haircuts, some revolutionary <laughs> eyeliner. I had a pair of revolutionary trousers. Um, <laughs> but these guys, you know, these, these guys had done it before. And the great thing about the strike was that when you went there and stood with them, yeah. then you were part of that tradition. Yeah. You were the new people who were coming. He'd done it before. Jock had been singing his songs probably for 60 years. Yeah. And now there's a new generation coming yeah. to stand. And that's how I ended up writing Between the Wars. Yeah. Instead of writing a song that was a rant, a fast, punchy rant, I've tried to reconnect with that folk tradition yeah. and bring that to the fore because that was the... That was what we were plugging into. We were plugging into a very old working class tradition. Yeah. And and that's what was at stake. It was that working class culture I mean, of solidarity. It. It's that realisation in, in any struggle like that, that, as you said, you're not the first person to be going through this. And potentially, as it kind of showed with um, the gay movement and yeah. the minors, always, you're not the only person yeah. going through. It's different causes, but yeah. it's the same struggle. Before. It's the yeah. same, same I mean, when battles. We were, when we were dealing with that, a little bit of local difficulty we had in Barking and Dagging with the British National yeah, Party. Yeah. Part of my gig was to go out there and say to the young people who were coming out there, look, you know, yeah. we've done this before. You know, this is a tradition. It goes back to rock against racism. Yeah. It goes back to the to the you know fight against the National Front in the in the fifties and the sixties, the fight against fascism in the Second World War, the yeah. Spanish Civil War, you know. And by coming to this to this event and by going out and putting these leaflets through doors yeah. you are joining that tradition you're part yeah. of it now yeah, you're, the new, you're, I mean, the new, you're the new generation I'm, I'm, and, and we've you know, we beat them before and we've done it with our music yeah. so we can, we can I win I mean this. that was a real um, clear moment for me uh, politically that I'd written some political songs but when um, I spoke t to you about coming out and going door to door and seeing the the, the bizarreness of a BMP growth in an area that is such a mixed cultural area and the realisation that, right, actually, I'm going to stop just talking about this and, and seeing at home. Talk, I'm going to go out, as you did, as a lot of other guys did, and go, go and knock on these doors and say, do you know that you need to go, that you can go and vote? And that worked. And that's that was why, the kind of amazing thing. That chased them out in a in a heartbeat. That's you know? that's why you can stand up on stage and say and do what you do, Pip, because you've been out there and you've done it. You're not just yeah. talking about it. Yeah, yeah. And that's what that's the real bottom line. If you're gonna make political culture, whatever way you're gonna do it, you have to come up with the actions that match it. Yeah. That's what we were trying to I do with that, Red Wedge. You know, yeah, we were trying to push on. it as far because I mean Red Wedge came in the wake of the defeat of the minor strike. Yeah. And and what happened was all of the bands that um We've, I mean, I don't know where rock stars hang out. I've never been, yeah. you know, I hardly ever see them apart from benefit gigs. Yeah. And we've done so many gigs for the miners and for Nicaragua and for anti-apartheid. When the strike ended, it was like, what, we're just going to go back and back to our boring old careers, you know, yeah. making videos and all that? Or, or, you know, or are we going to push for the 87 election? Yeah. And, you know, and that that's kind of... Because we wanted to push it as far as we could to see how far we could go and alright we didn't succeed but I'd like to think that people came after, come after yeah. and learn from those out the mistakes we made yeah. and build on that yeah. you know I think what you've said there should 
be it should be made clear that it translates as well. You said initially that the reason you use music was because you didn't have Facebook and Twitter and all these other places to make a political statement. And then we've said that it's okay to make political statements in music if you're actually if you've actually been out there on the streets doing something. Now I think that should all translate to it's great to be political on Facebook and on Twitter and online, but you need to back that up with being active in the real world, You've got to actively engage. being out there how and do you, doing something. How do you engage? Yeah. That's the most important thing. You yeah. know, we're coming up to probably, I think, possibly the most significant election probably since 1979. Yeah. There's so many things that could happen in the outcome of this election. The Tories and UKIP could win, mm -hmm. which will mean we'll have a referendum on the European Union. There'll be a lot of pressure on immigrants. Yeah. The Scots may... You know, try to go because of that. We could end up coming out of Europe. Be yeah. very divisive. Labour could win, but probably only now with the SNP, yeah. which could bring in a lot of other ideas about the federalisation of our country. Mm -hmm. There could be a really high vote. This is one of the few elections where even if you don't elect someone, your vote could have an effect. Because if a party like the Greens um, get 10% and no seats, the pressure for... Um, Electoral reform and bringing in some form of voting makes sure everybody, everybody's vote counts. The same with yeah. UKIP as well. I mean, it's a possibility that UKIP might get 20% of the vote and four seats. And much as I dislike UKIP and what they stand for, it's simply not fair. If it's you, not if, democracy if, yeah, if it completely. works like if you're that. Gonna you know. fight for a certain system or a certain way, you can't only fight for it if it works to your ends yeah, or, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, or to the sure. result. It's democracy. That you want. It's why when when um, people got angry that... that, that that UKIP got seats, that BNP mm. got seats, things like that. It, my kind of argument was, well, this is the current system that you're supporting and want. This is the democracy you want. So you, if 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 your party didn't get in, then it means that not enough of your party had, or not enough yeah. of the supporters were out there. And so. all these things are possible. All these things are possible this election, but only if we engage. Yeah. You know, and I don't mean just vote, although I think that is... I don't agree with Russell Brand. I agree with many, many things he says. I was going to ask you about do, what you feel on Russell's revolution as such. Well, let me just say... About that, him on the podcast. Let me just say that... Let me just say that um, I think engaging, finding a way, however yeah. you can, to engage in this election, all of us, particularly mm -hmm. people under the age of 25, is absolutely crucial because yeah. the outcome could be either really, really brilliant and we'll get the reforms and the new constitution or really, really negative. Yeah. It's really, this is not one of those elections where it's not going to matter who wins. It's really yeah. going to matter this time. Right. Now, with regard to Russell Brand, I agree with almost everything he says. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan. I loved, I mean, I think it's great to see him out there, um, you know, supporting the uh, <clears throat> the. Uh, the mums on the housing yep. and all that kind of stuff, more power to him. I wish more artists would get out there. You yeah. know, it always seems the comedians now are political yeah, yeah, rather yeah, than the songwriters. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. more power. The thing I disagree with him is his analysis right. with regard to voting. Mm -hmm. um, I can see his frustration and I understand that there's no one there he wants to vote for. Yeah. But in order to get to the position where there will be someone to vote for, that can't be done by disengaging. That can't be done by not getting involved. We've got yeah. a, the, the the thing to do, if there's nothing there that, um, that you want to vote for, you've got to push for a system that allows the thing you do want to vote for to come yeah. through. And so in that, you have to make some, you know, 
politics has always been the art of compromise. Yeah, I, I wish I, I could have said I, it another I, way around. You've no, all, you I, know, when was the last time, you know, you voted for a party that you were hundred yeah, percent happy I, with everything I, they I stood that. for? You I know, think it's kind like, of choosing to. Um, live by um, a, a, a realistic uh, or, or look for a realistic solution or a moralistic or idealistic s- a solution because c- c- I would completely argue that um, if you don't believe in a system then it's a valid argument and again I'm not I think the way the the rustlers put things previously has been it, it, inaccurate. But if someone came up to me and said, um, I choose not to vote because I don't believe in the current system, therefore yeah. morally engaging in it is 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 against what I, I believe in. Yeah, but, um, and if, again, that's what I'm saying. It's not a realistic one potentially because that would work if everyone in England decided to go, we don't believe in democracy, we're all walking here's away. Here's the thing. As they're not, not going to, you need to have someone yeah, yeah. fighting against what yeah. they are going to do and yeah. what... Are within that system, I guess, is what you're saying. Because what that analysis mistakes, I don't believe in the system. Yeah. If someone says that about voting, they are mistaking the system for the method by which we change the system. Sure. Democracy is not the system. Yeah. It's the means by which we change the system. Yeah. You know, it's like saying, um, you know, getting in a car and saying, I don't believe in the driving, the steering wheel. Yeah. The yeah, steering yeah, wheel yeah. isn't the car; it's the thing that that, yeah. that drives it. Yeah, and unless sure. unless you, in, you know, it's fine if you have no vision for a better system. Yeah. But if you do have a vision and you feel passionately about it in the way that Russell clearly does, yeah. and many people who follow him does, that not engaging in in this year's election, mm. I think, is a real, real mistake. There are some years where you might think to yourself, "Well, that was fucking pointless," and yeah. I, and I've felt that myself. Yeah, I'll be perfectly sure. honest with yeah, you. Yeah, 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 but yeah. this ain't that election. This and election, as there are so many weird variables in this election, to not. Um, to not put your shoulder to the to the wheel on this one, I think it's a real mistake, particularly yeah. for young people, because in some ways the the idea that um, politicians don't listen to young people, is, so I'm not going to vote, is a self fulfilling prophecy. The reason they don't listen to you, mate, is because you don't vote. You don't vote so if you why voted, do they need if as many young people you? voted as 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 people of my generation, yeah. then you might get some attention. So yeah, you know, it's a, I think, and I speak. I just want to say this, listeners. Okay. I speak as someone who didn't vote when he first had the chance because he didn't think there was any difference between the political. Party. So I, Again, I know exactly where you're coming from. It's it's it's, it's a that. weird laziness. I've had. That. I, th- I think it is an I excuse. That. I and was I think, that soldier. I think the problem that Russell had initially was he justified people's uh, laziness. So it's all well and good if you genuinely have studied these parties, or if you've 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 voted previously yeah. and felt right. This yeah. I've 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 been there and tried this, yeah. rather than sitting at home going, oh, I don't believe in it. But I, I think I, Russell's I'm, interesting because I think his. Oh, we had him on, on the podcast and he's a mate, but again, I don't agree with everything he said and I didn't no, agree no. with everything he said there. And I think he's interesting because he's developing his opinion and he it's learning be, yeah. and he's yeah. changing and yeah. he's change, He's not as strict on, on we shouldn't vote. He's no. saying, well, you know, that was a, a spur of the moment thing. And I think there's a lot where you there's a lot that you can pick apart with him and slag off and say is wrong but I also think there's a lot that he's going yeah I hadn't considered that and he's learning he's, and developing I mean, but he's, in the public he's eye he's coming and, I mean he's done such a body swerve from where he was yeah when you think of the way he kind of came through as a sort of druggy sort of like you know shag yeah. happy yeah. geezer yeah 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 to, to, he's kind of grown up in public completely and, and I feel you know when I've, I've listened to him on, on um, you know on Newsnight and on um uh, question time, and you know he's feeling his way through these things, and you know he hasn't really, um, 
you know, you should have nailed that guy who said to him on question time, why don't you run for office? Yeah. There's a real simple answer to that. Because people say it to me all the time. Yeah. Politics is too important to be left to politicians, mate. Yeah. Why should I have to be a politician to talk about politics? I'm. I, this means life and death to me. Yeah. So I can talk about what I want to talk about. You shouldn't let someone throw it at you like that, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's not really, you know, he's not really... I mean, we all had to learn. I mean, I had to learn. You yeah. know, I yeah. had to learn pretty sharp. And, and my education was the minor strike. Because yeah. I was going up to those gigs in the north of England and the people who would organise them, who were highly politically motivated, who were Marxists, who were Trotskyites, yeah. really, they wanted to know the fuck what I was doing. Was I just yeah. some pop star from London who didn't know his shit? Or did I actually have yeah. half an idea about yeah. why I was doing this? That's a, so that's I, a great yeah, birth. Yeah, it was. Fire, I mean, you know, because right? you were sleeping on their sofas. So you'd be end up around their house after a couple of beers, you'd be buzzed up from the gig, and then all of a sudden... You're really it's question on your, time. Yeah, you know, it was good. It was yeah. good because it put you on your toes. They have their own language, the Marxists. They have a language they talk, and you kind of have to learn their language. And um, sadly for them, that language doesn't mean shit to anybody anymore, which is a yeah. problem because the things that Marx talked about have not been resolved. Yeah. So in some ways, we've got to find a new, a new language, a new way to talk about these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's what poets are for. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. their job. That's why we're here. So um, I think you know, I think that. Uh, Russell May, uh, you know, he's a, he's a bit of a shock trooper, isn't he? He wants to sort of shock on all of his arguments. So yeah. don't vote is a good sort of like, you know, well, Instant, get don't vote. Yeah, he's got yeah. it, yeah. If he's coming to see that, that um, there are times when that makes sense, there are other times when it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, don't vote doesn't make sense when you're trying to get the BNP out of barking. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense. That's a that's a, a really bad bad tactic. But there are other times when, um, you know, you the, there's only a, a small handful of candidates, and they are all very similar. And we have had some elections like that over the last few years, where you know my residual hatred of Tories has not really been borne out by the pathetic Tories that are knocking around, the sad Tories yeah. and knocking around. Yeah. You know, but I've still been motivated to get out there and bite their ankles because that's. Yeah. That's just you know the, saw, the way I feel. But I think it's you know if he's if he's coming round to understanding it because it's not either or. Yeah, it's not either or. I mean that was the argument I used to have with the with the uh, SWP. Hmm. It's not if you know if you if you all come into the ballot box with me at election time, I'll come out on the streets with you at revolution time. Yeah, you know yeah, it's yeah, both. Yeah. It's not I'm yeah. either a revolutionary or I'm a I'm a you know. A, Labour Party supporter, and it doesn't work like that. Yeah, no, that's a, you know, that's Mal a great point. Malcolm I've never X really said, by any, means, of... by any means necessary. Yeah. He didn't mean by shooting people. There's always a photograph with that quote where he's looking out of the window of a shooter. Yeah. He didn't mean that. Yeah. He meant whatever method you have to be able to take the bastards on, yeah. you should use it. And that includes the ballot box. Yeah. It includes uh, the, the debate. It includes the... the you know, whatever means are proffered to you. So for a young generation to be have the opportunity to vote and there to be some really interesting opportunities, you know, with parties like the Greens, you know, there seems to be a powerful party to the left of the Labour Party there that, that yeah. might not win seats, but with a big showing, might yeah. lead, have a knock-on effect at the next election. There might be another election this year as well. Yeah. And, yeah. and if, if the Greens get 10%, it will give people the confidence that they can vote for that party completely. And, I mean, and 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 get you know people see uh, that there's another there's an there's an alternative to to what they've traditionally yeah, voted for completely. And I think uh, love or hate either of them, the rise of the Greens and UKIP, um, if nothing else, highlights the fact that you can no longer use the argument of they're all the same. Yeah. Because the Greens and UKIP aren't the same. No, you can't no, say that. No. You could you could have argued that with yeah. with with. with 
a, a, a Labour with, you know, Conservatives with, even with the Lib Dems when it was starting to come through. But you can't, you can't argue that. So, no. so the excuse better, of not voting because they're argument, all the same is a, like, nah. A better sorry. argument in that, and I, rec- I recognise why people feel that way, but I yeah. think a better argument is they've all run out of ideas. Yeah. I think that's sure. a more fair argument. So I don't think they are the same. Yeah. I think Ed Miliband is probably the most left-wing Labour leader we've had in the last 25 years, and there's mm-hmm. probably not another one there like him. So if he yeah. does go, it'll be probably be they'll cut back towards Blairism. Yeah. And I think he's a genuinely radical person. He doesn't really come across like that, I know, and he doesn't really hasn't really managed to manifest that. But I... I, you know, I've sort of you know worked with him on, the, on a couple of earlier projects, and I have a lot of respect for the bloke. But I think they're running out of ideas. Yeah. They're, they're they're within a very narrow parameters of what is what they think is possible, which is basically what the Daily Mail think is possible. Yeah, yeah. Of and and the thing about UKIP, not so much UKIP, but more the Greens and this SNP, the Scottish National Party, is they're willing to break out of that. Yeah. that sort of stranglehold of centrism and offer something genuinely interesting. And you can see what's happening in Scotland, how the SNP are becoming more popular. Yeah. And if the Greens could um, build up support, it, it would have the, you would have the opportunity to start bringing people further, you know, towards more left-wing ideas. You see what's happening in Greece, what yeah. may happen in, in Spain. Yeah. We need people to be putting forward alternatives to austerity because it ain't really going to work, you know. Yeah. You know, it's already been shown in 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 Greece that uh, you know since they've brought austerity in to make the economy grow, the actually debt has grown. Right. You know, so the medicine ain't working. Mm. And on the other hand, on top of that, of all the other things we've got to think about this election, um, is the fact that um, we're still living on cheap credit. Mm-hmm. And that's what got us into trouble last time economically. You know, yeah. the reason we're living on cheap credit is because Thatcher smashed the unions. Yeah. And now there's no one in the workplace putting pressure on employers to do right by people and pay them an, a, a, a proper day's wage. Mm. And because there's that not that pressure anymore, all the all the money's gone off to shareholders and uh, and bosses, corporate bosses, and this has undermined the ability of consumers to live on their wages. So it's all yeah. cheap credit, and that ultimately, you know, it's going to go. It's not going to take us anywhere. It's going to go back where we are. You I, know? I remember. I th- I think it was a, a tweet you did. It might have just been a quote or a statement when, when a Thatcher died, and I thought it summed it up really well of saying, kind of celebrating the death of an old lady is fruitless because the damage she's done hasn't died. The damage yeah. that's been done to, yeah. to the nation hasn't yeah. died. So I'm not going to be sitting again. No. Yeah, I'm Thatcher's dead. It's like, I don't. She's in a way. I mean, <laughs> it, it was a reminder. Death, I, I mean, what, I, what I said was that her death is a reminder of how we ended up in the situation we find yeah. ourselves in. Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. You know, there's no, not enough housing for anybody mm. more. Why? It's our, not like you know, she, yeah. she dies and they no, go right. All, no. Everything she bought in is now cancelled no, out, no. and we go back to it's, the death of an infirm little old lady. Is yeah. you know not going to change anything. If you really want to do something about it, then don't mourn. Organise. You know, yeah. get in there. Cynicism yeah. is our, is our well, greatest enemy. I mean, because I mean, I was privileged. I have to tell you, I, it's one of the most privileged experiences of my career that the night that Thatcher resigned yeah. I had a gig in Belfast yeah. so if you can oh, imagine wow. if you can imagine yeah. the energy in that room yeah. there's still somewhere a pub somewhere near Queen's University an entirely long table full of pints of Guinness that were bought for me that night yeah. which if I'd have stayed there for a week I'd never been out of drink yeah. but that that energy I celebrated enough for all of us so there's still some of that adrenaline still buzzing around my body. Yeah. So when she died, you know, I had to say something. We were in, I think we were in Calgary, Alberta. And right. I couldn't just let it go. Yeah. But 
I just went out and you know said you you would have seen you know the news because it was big news over there. Yeah. Um, and you know this is this is play between the wars and let let it go. I didn't want to hijack the entire gig yeah. on it. I wouldn't want to give her that. No. That pleasure, you know. No, that's great. That makes that makes a lot of sense. How 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 often has there been them kind of weird bits of timing? I had um, on YouTube. There's a video of a guy. Killer Mike, who's a rapper and yeah. amazing p- political speaker, and yeah, yeah, yeah. him speaking during a gig not far from Ferguson when yep. there is when the, the verdict yeah, came yeah, yeah. and obviously nothing in there is a, a nice situation, no, no. but it was beautifully encapsulate the yeah, feeling yeah, yeah. and the the you know that couldn't have happened if it was just him giving a statement from yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a webcam or a, a, a closed it's room that moment. You know, it's the moment, the moment that people feel. So you, when you have the opportunity to to say something that because music can do that it can yeah. it can say the thing that you're that everyone in the room is feeling yeah and get that response you know uh but it you know you can't do that every night no it don't work like that if you did it every yeah. night it'd be like the circus it's not you know it's yabu then yeah but there completely. are certain moments you know i mean i i the very last gig of the uh uk tour with a band last year yeah. was in exeter university yeah and we used to love a gig it was a really nice night a lot of friends were there and uh, we had a great thing. I came off to, you know, to go back on to do the encore. Yeah. Um, and my tour manager said to me, Nelson Mandela's died. I was like, okay. So I went back on and I told the audience and there was an audible gasp from the audience. Yeah. And then I dedicated Tank Park Salute, which is a song about my father dying. Yeah. And we played oh, that. Wow. And it just was the right song at the right moment in the yeah. right situation. It was yeah. my, it felt to me to tell that audience that. And it was a, you know, as I say, those moments don't come every night. But when you do have the opportunity to do that, it's really quite, yeah, it's really quite special. If you've got the song that fits the moment, you know, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I'm gonna have I have one more uh, a topic, but just quickly because I think a lot of of Billy Bragg fans m- may not be aware of of Killer Mike, and we had him on the podcast a while ago. So if you listen to this <laughs> and you fancy having listened, he's it was one of the most amazing mm. discussions I've had on on what how we can act as a community and a society yeah. and all that. So, yeah, I recommend checking that out. But um, we're coming to the end here. I want to just quickly talk about uh, the left field stage at yeah. Glastonbury and what you've done there for so long. You had the 10th anniversary, which me and we Dan did, had the honour yeah, of, of getting to play. And it's just amazing to see a tent that has music and speeches and debates and everything at the biggest festival in the world, yeah. essentially. Well, the thing is, Glastonbury is different from every other festival. Yeah, and one of the reasons why it's different if it was her it's all blah 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 tell me another festival of that size that has a year off so the grass can grow yeah 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 you know, forget yeah, it yeah, you know, yeah, no yeah. one would do that yeah. nobody I don't yeah. know anyone who does that yeah. so just on that alone um, <laughs> you know the number of stages the number of bands that are on there there's something for everyone and uh, you know 10, 11 years ago now, one of the things that came out of the minor strike was I worked closely with the unions. Yeah. I found that political parties changed their spots, but trade unions tend to carry on being in, you know, trying to help their members, trying to help the communities that they live in, standing up for, you know, the really fundamental value. So I've always found it easier to work with unions. And um, the unions got together and it's when the Workers' Beer Company went in, which is kind of, they were uh, union founded um right. and they were like you know we re- we really want to get a, a union sort of stage there that's got sort of domestic politics as well because a lot of the politics there was global global politics right and so they sort of shanghaied me <laughs> <laughs> 
I was deputised to go and speak to the farmer and see if we could get a little space right. up there. And so they, the, the first stage we had, the tent was the size of the uh, green room. It was right. probably the same tent. Yeah, it was yeah. in, and the stage was about as high as that chair. And uh, people <laughs> fell up it and everything. Um, and... You know, we, it was more or less what you see now. You know, we had some debates. Tony Benn appeared. Uh, we had bands. We had a bit of comedy. Um, and we saw, then we got moved a bit around a bit. We, we uh, the, the um, what is now the Tony Benn monument, which yeah. was then was a left field monument, got yeah. built down where we used to be. Yeah. And then and then it all went a bit sideways. There was a rethink about the space and we kind of like, got dropped out for a year. We were like, cool, that does happen. I mean, there is an element, um, a Glastonbury that's a bit sort of game of tense, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, everyone's yeah. trying to get their space, position. which is like anything, you know, yeah. like anything. It's like market stalls. The markets, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's got well the funny enough, it was, it was the space for the markets that where left field was and we were yeah. in their way. Yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. they had issues of getting trucks in and out and we were, I, we were I, in the wrong place. I had a market stall at Greenwich Market for a little while and the the time you have to get there and the battles you have to put in to get your to get your lot so yeah I'm not surprised that it was the market so we went so we, went sideways. We, all, we all decided not to not to whinge about it yeah not to complain about it not to you know throw stuff out of the pram and uh, that was 2009 and then uh, towards the end of 2009 the farmer got in touch and said you know by the time we have the festival this year it would be June 2010 we could have a Tory government so I'm like, yeah. yeah, you're right. He said, well, I need left, I need left field back. Yeah. You know, I said, well, fine. Well, you know, give us a nice spot. You know, find us somewhere where we we can yeah. do the work that you want us to do. Yeah. And you know, give us a remit of what you want us to do, and we'll you know we'll try and put on. on something for you. So we kind of got, we kind of got beforehand. We was we were a little bit outside of the sort of festival family. You know, we were yeah. an add-on in yeah. a lot of ways. But once. Um, from 2010, we got brought right into the centre. We got that lovely pitch yeah, right at the centre of the yeah. uh, the crossroads of the between the two main stages, and got a great remit to to do domestic politics, to bring in young political bands, you know, to try yeah. and find those bands that are specifically political, and uh, you know, a, a 1,200 capacity tent yeah. to go with it. So, you know, we're trying to to balance up. You know, we. We had Tony Benn, bless him, you know, all those years to come down and, and speak. And that was, uh, you know, that was great for us because the farmer always came when Tony was on. So, you yeah. know, yeah, he, yeah. he always got to come and see what we were doing. Yeah. And we could, I could say, you know, we could say to him, we've done this, we've done that. He always saw what he was getting for his for his input. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, name me another festival of that size that would, that would put on a stage... For load of crazy lefties, yeah, you know, yeah, it just wouldn't exactly, happen. You yeah. won't see it at V. You're not going to yeah. see it at Reading Leeds. You're not going, you know, not there's anything wrong with those festivals. Mm. They're all great festivals, but you know, and it's not just us. I mean, the green, the green fields. Yeah, you're not going to see it. Circus. Who else's festival's got a bloody great big circus? Yeah, yeah tent exactly. In it, you know? Yeah, uh, it's, it, and so that's why I think it, it's really Glastonbury is a very, very exceptional experience. And I know people want to have a go at it, but it's easy to do because it's the biggest festival. But year after year, the farmer says, you know, get, you know, pull together some politics for me and leads me to, you know, yeah. sort of see who I can find, see who's around, see what I can put on. And, you you know, you've experienced what it's like in a yeah. tent when it's full. It's amazing, you know, yeah. it's brilliant. You know, yeah. you gotta, you, you're the first person ever to crowd surf <laughs> proud, there a, with a, a giant tennis trophy. racket. <laughs> giant oh, tennis racket I found halfway <laughs> through the crowd surf. It was a bizarre moment, <laughs> but yeah. It was just brilliant. 
<laughs> so you know that that's when it comes together like that. It's really great, and we got you know we've got the a singer song sort of cir- singer songwriter circle, which allows me to bring in unknown young political songwriters. Yeah. We had Socon last year, who's from yep. Northern Ireland. She's brilliant. Yeah, her great um, things. Yeah, really great. And also older a Grace songwriters. Grace has been on a few yeah, times. Grace, Grace Petrie. Yeah, Grace Petrie. Who I was able to put her on the first year, and she's brilliant. And um, you know there aren't there aren't many you know specifically political songwriters out there but those that are particularly the younger ones are a bit marginalised yeah. so by bringing you know to be able to put them on a bill with you yeah, 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 yeah. it makes such a huge difference yeah, I think the Hurriers played the night that you played they yeah. were on they were on first they're yeah, a good yeah, bunch right. of lads you yeah. know they're involved in the Augury for justice movement right yeah, you know for the, during the minor strike when the, the at the Augury for um, a coke plant there there was a huge battle there with the right. police loads of Miners were arrested. They got their heads caved in, and they were trying to get, uh, you know, an inquiry into that and get, uh, you know, get them uh, get pardons for them. So yeah. they're exactly the sort of thing that yeah, I'm looking for to put them in the heart of Glastonbury. Yeah. yeah, definitely. You, know, you don't have to be political yeah. to be at uh, left field, but you do have to be in your face and you know have something to say and have some yeah. something to that thing I was talking about pressure. Yeah, you know, let me hear about it. I want to hear about that aspect. Yeah. So completely, I remember. S- seeing or, or standing with you and watching King Blues in the left oh, field and yeah. seeing again half of their songs are love songs yeah, yeah. similar to you but then when it spoke politically in song or in between yeah, yeah. he knew what he was talking really about he meant powerful. it and it really connected yeah. and was, was really, powerful really really so. powerful so the whole aspect of it, the debates we have during the day you know we've been we've been uh, very fortunate in getting you know some uh, uh you know, Labour MPs to come down and talk because I think they should be able to be questioned in that context. Yeah. People who go to Glastonbury first are interested in politics should be able to put questions yeah, to uh, to to people like that. We've had a you know a strong uh, a strong radical thread that runs through um, that, and and I'm you know I'm happy to do that as long as there's farmers happy for us to come and take up the space. Yeah, you know that's great. Well, we're kind of at our time here, so thank you very much. Really? for coming on. Yeah, we've done. Aaron, Aaron, half now. Quickly, smash for it. Um, what's ahead, and where can people keep up to date with everything? Well, um, you, do? you, you are am, on Twitter and things like that. I am that. on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. If you want to find out what's going on with me, I'm doing a gig for the People's uh, Assembly Against Austerity in Manchester on the 28th of February. Um, and uh, during the daytime, there. Sadly, a... this is going out at the start of March, so we will have just missed that. But <laughs> Billy's just done a great gig in Manchester. <laughs> well, I mean, you Went know, keep your eye out for the election. Really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm bound to be uh, <clears throat> out causing a bit of trouble in the lead up to the election. And, you know, people say, well, why don't you do a red wedge again? And, you know, it's got to be of the time. You know, can't, yeah. you don't, can't just fire these things up. And um, you need a bunch of 25-year-olds doing that sort of shit. You don't need some yeah. old guy who's, you know, his late 50s talking about what we did in the 1980s. Yeah, Bollocks yeah, yeah. to all that. Yeah. You know, we need some sharp little herbits who have yeah. got a chip on their shoulder. Yep. And, uh, yep. you know, want to knock a few people like me off their pedestals. It definitely makes a difference. People... Um it's one of the things that excited me about Itch, even though Itch yeah. was just a few years younger than me. It felt, yeah. uh, w- w- watching him speak, it felt he can talk, he can have the ear of mm. kids that I couldn't because yeah. I feel I'm that bit yeah, older, yeah. I'm yeah, that yeah. kind of, you know, and it's yeah. it's it's hugely important. And, it, yeah. and it's why you would relate to people like Str- Str- Strummer because you yeah. could look and say, 
that's yeah. that's that could be me. Yeah. This is my. Exactly. This isn't someone older and wiser no, 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 or no, someone no. T- no, telling me off no, or talking down no. to me. This is someone no. who I should be as political as. And I've got all, I've got all the folk festivals to play as well. That's the great thing about folk music. You should yeah. get into more folk music. Yeah, the thing about yeah, folk yeah. music is you're actively encouraged to grow old. Yeah, brilliant. You know, nobody <laughs> yeah. cares if you end up looking like Bill Oddie. Yeah, they'll perfect. still have you at Cambridge Folk Festival. Whereas. For Morrissey, that, he ain't going to be offered that no. that leeway. If he looks like Bill Oddie in 10 years' time... They're not going to have it. He's had it. Yeah, yeah, he's had it. I'll be all right, see? So folk music, it's the way of the future. It's the future and the past all at once. <laughs> there you go. You got it. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Bill. It's been great Pip. talking. Nice chatting, mate. Whiz by. You've been listening to Scroobish Pits Discretion Pieces. There we have it. That was Mr. Billy Bragg. Um, yeah, amazing. Thank you for tuning in to episode 22. It's great to get have someone like that on there. Um, if you enjoyed this one, I'd recommend you check out, obviously, the Frank Turner one that was earlier in the week. Um, I think the Stuart Lee one, obviously, the Russell Brand one with the the politics side of it there's a lot of ones to select and they're all free um and you can subscribe to them too it helps the show it helps us with our numbers and general support so thank you for tuning in but next week next week's guest is mr dylan moran now then you might have noticed a slight pause there um that will be explained in next week's podcast um but yeah it's great to sit down with him and discuss all sorts of things from comedy to acting to touring to to london to edinburgh to everything so subscribe now and we will see you back to the usual one podcast a week next wednesday on the distraction pieces podcast